Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Philippians 3, 4. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I might, may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Uh, for the time that we're going to spend together, I want to talk a little bit about the press. I guess maybe because it's a uh, byproduct of my occupation being a pastor, I like to pay attention to words. And it always intrigues me when I hear somebody use a word as slang, thinking they're making it different, but actually using the word in its desired intention. Uh, I'm reminded of a scene from Aquila and the Bee when Akilah used the word dis and her trainer, her teacher was telling her to only use words that were found in the dictionary and she went to the dictionary and found it. This was a shortened form of disrespect. Uh, think about a show I used to watch called The Wire. And there was a scene in The Wire where this character called Monk was out there trying to make a a uh, good name in the neighborhood for his boss. So he was giving out uh, cash, almost $200 a piece, to kids out in the street so that they could have new clothes for school. And he was giving out this money, and one of the, key, one of the characters named Michael didn't want to take the money out of pride. So he walked away. Michael's friend Randy asked, hey, well, since Michael don't want his $200, can I get his $200 plus the $200 you gave me? And his other friend Naaman told him, yo, don't press. 
they were using it in slang terms for bothersome, but the slang was the actual definition. They say when somebody is obsessed with someone else, they are pressed. I like that word press. Uh, some of the definitions include crowd or a crowded condition, throng. A thronging or a crowding forward together. An action of pressing or pushing pressure. An aggressive pressuring defense employed in basketball often over the entire court area. To move or to cause to move into position of contact with something else by exerting continuous physical force. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in the text. A continual force pressing towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call or you know, being raised here in the King James Version uh, pressing towards the mark of the high calling. It takes continual force. Uh, Tony Robbins says that Repetition is the mother of all skill. When we press towards the mark, we need to do it repeatedly. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a, I'm going to try it one time, it don't work, I'm done. Pressing towards the mark of the high calling requires repetition. At the beginning of the text uh, in chapter 3, Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brothers, Rejoice in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again at the beginning of chapter 4 when he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, scholars like to argue over the interpretation of this Greek word rejoice because not only does it mean rejoice, but it also means and so. And it also means and finally. So when you see the word, it could be and so, it could be finally, it could be rejoice. I don't necessarily worry about that because to me, all three of those definitions mean the same thing. We rejoice at the beginning, we rejoice in the middle, we rejoice at the end. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Rejoice, 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 and so rejoice, and finally rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. No matter what way you translate it, it means the same thing. So we praise him anyhow. Um, thinking of uh, Psalm 31, where it says, uh, uh, 34, verse 1, rather, where it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. When David wrote that song, he had a bunch of people trying to kill him. His own king would try to kill him. He would call him into the king's court and have him play an instrument and right when he got to the end of the song he tried to chuck a spear at him so he ran from that king and then he ended up in in uh, Abimelech which was uh, uh, in Abimelech's country which was Gath aka the Philistines he was hiding from one king trying to kill him in the Philistines and well you know David didn't really have if you read your Bible the best relationship with the Philistines either because there was some guy by the name of Goliath that he gave him a little forehead piece with a stone. <laughs> but he was there, and in order to get out of that area, he had to play crazy. And they let him go. 
So you have two kings trying to kill you. And yet you say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. It's one thing for somebody to hate you. It's something completely different when somebody who has power and somebody who can do something about it wants to do something against you. But he continued to praise God. So if David could bless the Lord at all times, surely we can rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what's going on. Surely we can rejoice when our money is low just as much as when our money is high. Surely we can rejoice in the Lord when it feels like we ain't got a friend in the world. Surely we can rejoice when we don't know where our next meal is coming from. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. In Philippians, Paul says he has reason to boast. He was circumcised on the eighth day. There's a lot of meaning to that eighth day. Uh, I've been learning that some of our baptismal pools, you ever wonder why they're shaped in octagons and our baptismal fonts have eight sides to them. There's a whole theology to that. There's uh, the fact that God created the world in seven days and they call the eighth day the new beginning. God did what God was supposed to do. So the eighth day, now it's your turn to get to work. So that's when they have these, these baptismal pools and these fonts with eight sides on it. That's why one of the reasons why they believe that uh, children then were circumcised on the eighth day. Done what it's time for me to do. This is a signal for you to get to work. But he was circumcised on the eighth day and he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew among Hebrews. Paul knew the law because he was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. He was when he was against Jesus, he was against them all the way, running into churches and hurting the people that were doing this. But then when he came onto our side, he was all the way for Jesus. When it came to the law, he was blameless. He knew the law. He followed the law. He did everything he needed to do if, if uh, he was a high-ranking Hebrew. He had the family. He had the education. He had the good reputation, but when it came to Christ, it was all nothing. It was worthless. He considered that not to be valuable. Uh, In verse 8, where you see it says rubbish, um, that's not what actually describes what Paul was saying in the Greek. Uh, I imagine the translators made it rubbish because they understood that this was a Bible and it was going to be read in church on Sundays and 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 uh, I assume that would be why the translators turned it down or tuned it, toned it down rather. But the Greek word that he used for rubbish, it meant more than trash. It was actually dung fecal matter and not not the the scientific biological term that we use for it it was a slang term for that a vulgar a vulgar term all his education his bloodline his accolades his professional status all of that was rubbish 
when it came time to compare it to Christ. And he discarded it away so that he could get closer to Jesus. What do we worship? I've often heard it said that you can tell what somebody worships just by looking in their checkbook. People don't necessarily balance checkbooks that much anymore, but you know, you can get your bank account statement and your credit card statement and see what line items there are, and you can see where most of your money goes. And that'll be a good idea of what you worship. Uh, look at your calendar and see what you spend most of your time doing. Look at what you sacrifice for. Seeing where we spend the majority of our time, seeing where we spend the majority of our, our treasure, seeing where we spend the majority of our talent will be able to tell us where we worship at. Some of us worship at the altar of McDonald's. Some of us worship at the altar of our television. Some of us worship at the altar of impressing a bunch of people that don't care nothing about us anyway. What are we willing to sacrifice or lay aside so that we can get closer to Jesus? The good thing is, is we can get closer to Jesus by faith. In verse 9 again, there's some more discussion amongst the scholars about exactly what's going on here. Because uh, as early as verse 3 and, and in other verses, I mean in chapter 3 rather, around about verse 2, he's calling some people dogs. And they're wondering just exactly about who is he talking about. Uh, see, the church at Philippi was one that was mixed. You had um, some Hebrew believers there, people who were born Jew and converted to Christ. And then you had some Gentiles, people who may have been another religion, weren't born Jew and converted to Christ. And they were kind of mixing together. And there was some thought over there that the Hebrew believers didn't really appreciate the Gentile believers. The uh, seasoned saints didn't really appreciate the new members. I mean, I can see that. I can see some saints or a whole church or a denomination getting caught up in their methods dism uh, that they got to a point that they didn't work well with new members didn't necessarily work well with the visitors I can see the Hebrew people being used to the fact that they had to follow all these laws and all of these things and then when Jesus came along it was different whereas everybody else walked in on day two The seasoned saints had done a whole lot of things prior to Jesus coming, and now these new Gentiles didn't have to jump through the same hoops to get to Jesus, so they might have got treated bad. You know, it's plenty of people that don't come to church, not because they don't believe in Jesus, but because they don't necessarily like the people that's already in there. And when they go there, they get treated bad. I have a colleague of mine in, in Alabama that mentioned that when they pastored their church, people sat at the door to keep the door from opening once all the, the in crowd got in. They sat at the door to block it to keep new people from coming in because they were worried that you know they were going to lose their seat or they were going to lose their status or they were going to lose their uh, position. So we spent a good time, a good amount of time keeping those people out. So I can see that. 
I can see having a problem with that. And, and their basis was the law. We followed all these rules. We got all these credentials. We've done all of this. Y'all ain't did that. But that is not what grace and faith is about. Paul was saying that the righteousness didn't have to come on our own through the law, but through faith. Paul wanted to become like Christ. In all the work he did, he was still working through the goal. We are two-thirds of the New Testament attributed to Paul. Some people argue we're not necessarily Christian. We're probably more Paulinian than anything else. But Paul still said we was working towards the goal. Nobody is perfect. But we work towards perfection when we try to be like Christ. Paul, in all his accolades, has said he had not obtained or reached the goal. But he pressed. He pressed to make it his own because Christ Jesus had made him his own. You can't be perfect on your own. But you can be perfect in Christ Jesus. You can't be perfect on your own. But you can be perfect with some help. I'm reminded of a particular football coach that won a lot of state championships and had a very long undefeated streak. And he told his players, uh, you are not perfect, but if you work together, you can be perfect. You can be a perfect football team and have a perfect season and win the state championship, but you got to work together. You press towards perfection. When you press, as I said earlier, you exert a continual force. You do something repeatedly. One thing I've learned from playing sports in school is the value of training and conditioning and and, uh, practice. Take the 100-meter dash, for example. Yes, you are told to run from the start line to the finish line 100 meters, and in your mind, you think you're running your fastest the entire 100 meters, but you're really not. They've broken it all down, and really even the fastest of the fastest only are at top speed for maybe 35 meters of that 100-meter dash. Don't get me wrong. They're still running fast, but they're not at their top speed. The race is basically them building up to the top speed, running the top speed for however long they can hold it, and then sort of trying to maintain it and break it down. Uh, and, And what they're trying to do when they're when they're no longer at their top speed is they want to keep their form. So if you keep your good form, you still continue to run fast. So they do the continual training so that if they run long enough, if they were able to maintain their top speed for 25 meters, if they run a little longer and if they train a little harder, they might be able to get up from 25 to 30. If they continue to train some more, they might be able to get from 30 to 35. And if they continue to train, They'll be able to build up to their top speed faster, hold it longer, and then even when they get tired, be able to keep their form right so that they still run faster than everybody else. The continual training is what helps them maintain their form. When, once they start getting tired, when you watch a race, you're not watching the result of that race is not what they did right then. It is six to eight weeks of continual training. 
six to eight weeks of even though you compete in the hundred, we're going to run four hundreds and three hundreds and eight hundreds, and we're going to run miles and miles and miles, all so that when you run all of those miles, you press running harder and harder, that'll get you an extra five meters faster. You spend all this time training. You train a long time for that one opening, that one step, that two-tenths of a second, that one gap. Pressing towards the mark. The same is true for Christianity. This is not a Sunday experience. This is not something we do for an hour and a half once a week or once a month or once a quarter. This is a way of life. Continual prayer and fasting is what gives us the peace that passes all understanding. Continual prayer is what will help us keep us from danger seen and unseen. Continual study is what will keep us from keeping our mind when everybody around us is losing it all. It's the study. It's continual. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says to pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6-7 says do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You study, you study, you pray, you fast, you worship, you build up, you press all this time for the one moment. Not vain and repetitive, but you must do something often if you expect to receive some results. I can't just go to the gym one time, work out, and then wonder why I'm not losing any weight. It's continual. I must bench press repetitively. I must shoulder press repetitively. I must leg press repetitively. I must press the start button on the cardio machine repetitively. I must press the plate away from me with it's bad food on it repetitively. Then, over time, I will start to see results. Press. And when we press towards the mark, we also cannot be reminded of our past. Our past is there for us to learn from it and not to relive it. Some of the best athletes I know have short memories. They don't get caught up in their mistakes. Because if you get caught up in your mistakes, you lose your confidence. And when you lose your confidence, you work less hard. And when you work less hard, you get beat. Keep forward, leaving the past in the past. There's a funny commercial I saw out uh, with Charles Barkley. And he was, uh, I can't remember who else was in the commercial, but he was uh, talking to another athlete and he said, look, in order for you to get better, you got to have a short memory. He was like, you don't remember when you got dunked on by so-and-so? No. You don't remember when you lost in the playoffs? No. The best athletes have the best of uh, the short memories. Ask Scottie Pippen. And he asked Scottie Pippen and Scottie Pippen said, hey, Scotty, do you ever remember losing in the playoffs? Scotty Pippen said, no. And I'm the best Chicago Bull there's ever been. (laughs) Short memory. (laughs) Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, old things have become new. Paul is telling us to press forward. Don't quit. We are closer 
than we think we are, closer than we've ever been before. We just have to keep trying and learn from our mistakes and move forward. Thomas Edison, the famous inventor, had over 10,000 failed inventions. 10,000. We always remember him for the stuff that we, the lights and everything else that he's known for inventing, but we didn't know about the other 10,000 things that he didn't invent. But you know what he said about them 10,000 inventions? I haven't failed. I had uh, just found out 10,000 ways that don't work. And the funny thing about it is when I started looking up some of the stuff he invented, somebody else took that and said, that's a good idea. I'm going to make that work and went on to make it work. Edison tried to invent a voice recorder. Didn't work. But somebody else looked at it and was like, I can work with that. Edison tried to invent what he called an electronic pen. Now, this is what the electronic pen did. The electronic pen was a pen attached to some circuitry, and when you had a handwritten document, it would then punch holes in the paper to match that handwritten document so you would be able to make copies of what you had written one time. He couldn't make this electronic pen work to copy documents, but somebody did. (laughs) Somebody took his idea, kept pressing, and now we got Xerox machines and printers and four-in-ones and multifunction devices and faxes that can copy. And you want to copy anything, you can make copies of it all you want. Somebody pressed forward with his idea. Another idea he had, somebody tried to press forward, was a, a talking doll. He invented a doll that you could, you know, it, it would talk to you. The problem was the one he made when you dropped it, it came apart, and so it wouldn't work. And he couldn't also, he couldn't figure out a way to preserve the voice. Whatever way he was recording the voice, it would go away after a while. So you keep using it, you keep using it, keep using it, the voice goes away. But somebody else was like, ah, I bet I can make that voice stay there. And now I don't know anybody who hasn't grown up with a doll where you can pull the string and then talk. Somebody <laughs> pressed forward with his idea. Don't quit. you right there. Amen. <laughs> Edison came out with this other idea. Stop me if you've heard this before. You're at home. You join a club. And this club sends records to you. That you can listen to with music on it. He started an Edison home service club. You join it. The records are mailed to your house. When you're done with them, you mail them back. Or you can mail the ones you back you don't want, and they send them to somebody else. Has, has anybody ever heard of something like that before, where you can order discs and records and CDs? I remember the Columbia House publishing thing. I remember Netflix. Everybody got Redbox now. He tried this idea, but did not press. He was the first person that had the idea of putting projectors in your home so you could watch movies on a big screen. But he made it too expensive, so didn't nobody buy it. It was $2,000 in, in, in those times. And he made like 2,000 of them and only sold 500 of them. But somebody else said, I think I can make a cheaper projector. Press. People pressed with these ideas and made them work. Steve Jobs got fired 
from the company he started. But he worked harder, pressed on, and came back and brought Apple to world dominance. What I'm saying is, is whatever idea God put in you, don't quit. Keep going. The work, the struggle is for you to get better than the competition for that one moment. Just be there that one time you have to be better. And you never know when that moment is coming, so you always have to stay ready. Continue to press. Continue to struggle. Continue to work. The word used for goal in the Greek is also used for achievement and maturity and the accomplishment of a goal. You see, we got three different kinds of, 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 of uh, moralities. You have your teleology, which is achievements and goals. You have your uh, deontology, which is based on rules. And you have your erectiology, which is virtues, where you work so hard or your habits. And when you use the teleology... Well, when you use the deontology, it's all about the rules. We keep in score. How many wins and losses? How many things you've gone? Uh, when you talk about the erectiology, they don't keep score. We're just trying to make a good habit out of you. So when they have a, a, a morality based on erectiology, it's about the habit, not necessarily what you did. We're just trying to get good habits. Uh, but teleology or teleosis, which he uses here, the mark, the goal, is about the end. Not how you got there but how you finished. Not, how, not what your record was going through, but did you win the championship? Amen. See, when they, they, these teams are watching sports, when they, when they win the championship, nobody cares about what their record is going to it. They just won in the playoffs. They won when it mattered. They accomplished the goal. They might have went into the, 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 the playoffs at 500, Eight and eight, like the Dallas Cowboys continually. I'm sorry, back to the text. Uh, they may have went in with a bad record, but they won and they kept pressing and they kept chugging away. And now all we say is, is they're champions. We don't care about their record. They're champions. Keep pressing towards the goal. And we press on because Jesus pressed on. Jesus did not quit in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus did not quit when they took him and arrested him. Jesus did not quit when his life was in the balance versus a thief and the thief got to go. Uh, Jesus did not quit when they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. Jesus did not quit on Calvary. Jesus did not quit on the cross. Jesus did not quit in the grave. Jesus did not quit when he rose again and he's not quit because he's coming back again. He pressed on. And because he pressed on, we ought to press on. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.